Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we continue our series, Jesus Is. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, everyone. How you feeling? It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Ian, and I'm thrilled that you are here. I wanted to begin first with a question, and the question is this. Uh, How good are you at paying attention? How good are you at paying attention? I think probably all of us would have to admit that there are times where we're physically present, but we're mentally somewhere else. Are we tracking? Like, for example, I'm two sentences into this talk. How many of you are already distracted, right? Don't lie, Jesus is watching. So so I thought we'd start with something fun this morning, something to kind of get our our brains going a little bit, and that's an awareness test. Doesn't that sound fun? We're going to start with an awareness test this morning. Take a look. This is an awareness test. How many times does the team in white pass the ball? Answered 13 passes, you are correct. But did you see the moonwalking gorilla? Moment of truth, how many of you did not see the moonwalking gorilla? (laughs) See, neither did I. Doesn't that kind of make you wonder a little bit, though? Like, with all that we have going on, could, could this be happening in our actual lives? I mean, is it possible that we're so caught up with activity and appointments that we're actually missing the point of life? Is that is that possible? My, my guess is that uh, a lot of you, your day begins the same way mine does. It starts with that torture device that we call an alarm clock screaming in our ear, right? Some of you hit the snooze one, two, or 18 times. For me, uh, that's when the bargaining begins. And I employ what I call uh, morning math. Anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> morning math goes something like this. With one eye open as I stare at the alarm clock. I think, I can shower in a minute and a half, right? (laughs) How long does it take me to make breakfast? 37 seconds? I think that's spot on. How many of us have woken up in the morning and our very first thought is, when can I go back to sleep? (laughs) And I don't know about you, but like the, the moment that my eyes open in the morning, my brain starts to race. All the things I need to do, all the places I have to go, all the things I need to accomplish, and it doesn't really stop until I go to bed again that night. And I'll be honest, sometimes it just, it feels like I'm going from thing to thing to thing to thing. Sometimes it feels like I'm more like a human doing than a human being. Can anyone relate to that? Is it possible that with all this flurry of activity, 
we're actually missing the point, the point of life. What, what if there was a better way to live, a way for us to step back from the frantic pace of life and to lean in to something good, something right, a way that makes us feel like we're fully present? Well, it's exactly into that craziness that Jesus speaks in Matthew 11. Here's what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's the word? Rest. Rest. Not burdens, not to-do lists. Rest. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, rest, you say? I've never heard of this word. What does that mean? And it may actually surprise you But rest has actually always been a part of God's dream for us from the very beginning. Way back in Genesis chapter 2, when God is creating the universe and the animals and the stars and oceans and waterfalls and trees and mountains, it says that after he did all of that, God himself rested. So central to the very essence of who God is, is both creating and producing, but also resting. And we're made in God's image, so it means to be fully human is both creating, cultivating, dreaming, organizing, but also resting. God created us for this rhythm of work and rest, and God called the rest Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath is Shabbat, and it literally just means to stop. Now, there's not a lot of wow factor to that unveiling. That's what it means, to stop, to cease. And in Exodus 31, when God is giving the Ten Commandments, here's here's what he says to Moses. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. This is part of the Big Ten, the commandment to observe the Sabbath. And yet for most of us, this is like the only commandment that we brag about breaking, isn't it? We brag about how busy we are, how overworked we are. You don't see us bragging about any of the other ones, like, hey man, how was your week? Oh, I murdered so many people. Robbed a couple of banks. So why is that? Well, I think there's a lot to be learned here in this verse. The word for refresh is actually the word nefesh. Let me hear you say nefesh. Gesundheit. Well done. It sounds more like a skin rash or something, doesn't it? Nefesh is a Hebrew word uh, that literally means soul. And almost every time this word appears in its verb form, it's connected to this idea of Sabbath. If we were to translate it directly, it would read something like this. To be put back together or to be resold. Does that resonate with anyone this morning? To rest, to be refreshed is to be put back together, to be resold. Maybe you're here this morning and you're you're already tired. You're stressed out, maybe you're burnt out. My guess is that there's probably people here that feel disconnected from God, 
or disconnected from others, or, or maybe even disconnected from yourself. I think we all, at some level, desperately need to be put back together, to be resold. There's something about rest that does just that. Now, I think God knew this. I think he knew this from the very beginning, that we would have a tendency to overschedule, to overcommit, to overwork. And so in Genesis 2, he establishes this rhythm because we desperately need it. And so thousands of years later in Matthew 11, Jesus is reminding us of this deep need. Now, when Jesus spoke these words to a first century Jewish audience, they were pretty revolutionary. In, in the time of Jesus, this was not the norm. In fact, to be a holy, righteous person meant more about ascribing to a system of never-ending obligations and rules. There was this constant stacking to measure up, to be good enough, to be holy enough, to be righteous enough. And here's how that happened. This is a page in the Old Testament. And uh, let's just say this is the Genesis 2 passage. It's in Hebrew, so you can't tell me it's not. Um, This is the original text that describes who we are, what we're to do, and who we are to be. God gives this clear picture. But over decades and centuries, the rabbis and Pharisees felt the need to further clarify what God had said with more commands and instructions. Now keep in mind, um, I think it was with the best of intentions that they did this. So God, God kind of gave this mandate, God gave this instruction, this invitation. And I think for the most part, they so badly wanted people to get it, to not miss it, that they added all these additional rules and obligations and commandments. And over time, the page ended up looking more like this. Isn't that crazy? This is the original text, and this is all that's been added in the margins. There were so many more things to do and not do, to be and not be. They filled the margins, putting more and more requirements on what people had to do to measure up. So it would make sense that the people Jesus is speaking to here in Matthew 11 felt pretty weary. They were feeling rather burdened. Have you ever felt that way? I think we have a tendency to fill up the margins of our lives more and more until we find ourselves just exhausted. And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest with you this morning. I kind of like being busy. I really do. I get bored if I'm not busy. But as I was thinking about this talk this week, I was trying to look at the thing behind the thing behind the thing. Why, why do I often find myself so exhausted, so spent, so overworked? Do you know why it is for me, honestly? I, I do those things so that I feel valued. I say yes to more and more things because, I mean, truthfully, for, for a long time, I've found my worth in what I bring to the table. Can, can anyone relate to that? What I can do in any given context determines who I am. I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's that desire to be valued, to be loved, to be known that sort of drives me more and more and more into exhaustion. 
So in an effort to prove my worth, I end up taking on more. For you, maybe you just want the best for your kids, right? And that's why you schedule rehearsals and practice and countless other things. And we, we want the best for our kids, right? But is it, is it possible that some of what's driving that is us wanting our kids to know that we're enough for them? That if I give you every opportunity, if I do every right thing, that at least at some level you'll, you'll know that I'm enough for you, that I'm a, I'm a good parent. And I, I think that's a normal impulse. But just because it's normal, does that make it good? Just because that's what we see all around us, does, does that make it right? Does, does that mean it's what God intended for us? I mean, I, I think we even do this with spiritual things, right? We say yes to more and more good things. I think we often get distracted from the best thing. Isn't that true? Sometimes good things become the enemy of the best thing. This is often the struggle in church world. We, we feel like that if we're doing good things, then I'm okay. Like I didn't kill anybody this week. I'm serving a church. Isn't that good? And yes, contributing is absolutely a part of what it means to be a Christ follower. But can we just ask though, is it possible that even sometimes our good things are keeping us from experiencing true intimacy with Jesus? That those good things continue to fill up the margins of our life. And while we, be, we may be doing good things, we're not actually growing in closeness with God. I would put it this way. There's a big difference between doing things for God and doing things with God. God never intended for us to do for him without also doing with him. But how many of us, if we're honest this morning, we've been doing a whole lot for him and not a lot with him. Maybe it's feeding an ego. Maybe it's trying to find value or worth. But what if all this activity is distracting us from the important stuff on the page? It made me think of this. Uh, growing up, my father had this drum set um, sort of set up in the basement as this shrine to Keith Moon that he never played. And I was kind of like an angsty punk rock kid growing up. And uh, I remember one day I went to my mom and I said, can I go hit those things? And she was like, I mean, yeah, go, go for it. That's what they're there for. So I said, awesome. So I sat down on this drum set. I picked up these sticks. And then something magical happened. Wasn't that just beautiful? Stay, <laughs> please, hold the applause. It was terrible. I had the drum set, I had the drum sticks, but I was missing one crucial element. You know what it was? Rhythm. <laughs> I had no rhythm. But hour after hour, day after day, I would continue to just hit those things as fast and as loud as I possibly could until one day a friend of my parents from church who was also a drummer uh, came by and he heard me just going crazy in the basement. And he walked down, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm drumming, man. He's like, that ain't drumming. <laughs> and he began to teach me about rhythm. And the first thing they taught me about rhythm was this word, rest. Those of you who are musicians in the room, you know this word. 
Rest, he said, is knowing the difference between when to be on and when to be off. And over time, my drumming began to sound a little more like this. And in so doing, he began to reveal to me that the whole point is not to always be on. Rest determines the difference between music and mere noise. Like, have you ever gone to a concert and the drummer is just terrible? Like, you maybe aren't even a musician, but you're listening to this band and you're thinking to yourself, what's off with this band? Oh, that's right, the drummer is awful. When the rhythm is off, it butchers the song. And isn't that true in our own lives? God created us with this rhythm of work and rest. But the point of music, of playing, of composition is not for everybody to always be on. That would be chaos. That would be noise. But if we're really honest with ourselves, how many of us experience that in our own lives or just feels like we're always on. God did not create us to live like that. But here's the thing that I love about Jesus. He, he doesn't just simply invite us to find rest. He, he actually goes on. Here's what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, not just your body, but your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he doesn't just invite us to find rest. He invites us to a different way to live. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, what the heck is a yoke? I'm so glad you asked, City Slicker. A yoke (laughs) is a cross piece that was fastened to the shoulders of animals used to pull a plow or a cart. It was meant to spread the burden across an animal's shoulders so that No one part was strained. So I want you to look at this. This is a yoke. And this represents all that you have to pull in life. Maybe you're even thinking of some things now. The things that weigh on you. All you have to do. All you have to accomplish. All of the people depending on you. Now note something here. Jesus isn't removing the yoke. He's not some pie-in-the-sky God who is oblivious to the weight and responsibility that all of us carry. What he's offering, though, is a change of yokes. He's offering his yoke in place of ours. Some commentators argue that what he's actually saying here is, my yoke fits. He said it fits. It's a better fit than the one that you're carrying, the one that you've been pulling with. And and why is his yoke so different? Because it's one shared with Jesus. In essence, Jesus is offering himself. He doesn't say, "I'll, I'll teach you about rest. I'll point you in the right direction of rest. I'll lay out seven habits for more restful living. Jesus gives himself. He said, I will give you Rest. He doesn't offer some new mandate or even just some new outlook. 
He offers himself because Jesus is the point. Think about it like this. Uh, Every room in your house or apartment has a focal point. Whether you like it or not, it has one. It could be a couch or a fireplace or that Top Gun poster you can't seem to get rid of. And when chosen intentionally, everything in that room is sort of arranged around it and it works, doesn't it? Some things may stay, but other things might have to go. And that's precisely what the religious leaders of Jesus' time missed. In their mind, religion was about sucking it up. Like, try harder. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But friends, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came to save us when we couldn't and can't save ourselves. It's not about being good enough. It's about a life-altering, life-giving relationship with Jesus himself. And he wants to be the thing by which everything else is oriented. Not just your Sunday mornings, not just around your church friends, everything. Your marriage, your finance, your neighborhood, your employment, your recreation, your hobbies. He wants to be the focal point. And friends, I'll I'll tell you from experience that when we fully surrender, when we fully open our grip to Jesus, it will change your life. You will find a rest that you didn't even know was possible. Why? Because he's the point. Jesus is the point. All the things we do are good and right. We need to continue to help more and more people find their way back to God and plant churches and give generously and join small groups and serve on teams. They're not ultimately the point. Jesus is. Sunday's not the point. Jesus is. So in light of that, I have just a few invitations for you. The first is this. Uh, Stop. Just stop. We can prayerfully say no to the things that are keeping us from closeness with God. When we feel this constant pressure to keep adding to our to-do list, what if we made a stop doing list? What if we, with boldness and courage, said, you know what, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to keep saying yes to that thing. I think that's keeping me from my family. That's keeping me from closeness with God. We can ask this, what do I need to say no to in order to say yes to God? Even good things. And that might happen today. You might have to say no to something today in order to say yes to God because here's the thing. If you don't take a break, eventually you'll just break. I've been there. If you don't take a break, eventually you'll just break. Second imitation is this. You can sleep. Can I get an amen, please? You can sleep and sleep like a Christ follower. For some of us, the most holy thing you could do today is just take a nap. I think a lot of us would look a lot more like Jesus if we learned to nap once in a while, to just rest, to sleep in spontaneous applause. It's very showing. 
English preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, the bow cannot be always bent without fear of breaking. Repose is as needful to the mind as sleep to the body. Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take the occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. Resting, pausing, stepping back will often feel like we're wasting time. But if it's bringing us closer to God, nothing could be further from the truth. If hitting the pause stirs our affections for the right things in life, then that is worth doing. And the third is this. I invite you to Sabbath. The humbling thing for me about busyness is that it kind of gives me a sense of importance. Like, don't we kind of love when someone looks over our shoulder and sees in our laptop that our calendar is just packed? Like, oh, you're so busy. You're so in demand. When my schedule is full, I feel like I have value. But Sabbath reminds us that we're not the center of the universe, and thank God for that. We are not the center of the universe. Jesus is. Sabbath frees us from the compulsion to find our identity in what we do, what we bring to the table. Because scripture tells us that before we can ever do anything for God, he looked at us and said, my dearly beloved children, my sons and daughters. Now, Sabbath isn't only about ceasing to work. It's also about stirring our hearts as well. So maybe a helpful question for you this week is, what stirs my affections for Christ? Like I know some of you, you're journalers and God bless you, you're the holiest people in the room, I'm convinced of it. That doesn't work for me. I gotta like go for a run or ride my bike or play music. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something really active. But what is that thing? What stirs your affections for Christ? That can be your act of worship, of Sabbathing. Worship isn't just about singing songs. It's about offering our entire lives to Jesus because he is the point. So let's not allow distractions, even good things, to get in the way, to take our focus off of the source of life. I'd I'd put it this way. For all of us in the room, God has not called you to a life you don't have time for. He's not called you to a life you don't have time for. I I know some of you in the room are like, that's all fine and good, but I I got a company to run. I I got a family to care for. What does your current pace of life reveal about what you really believe to be true about God? Does God need you to agree to one more appointment? Does the whole thing unravel if you don't say yes to this one more thing? Or is it possible that we are not the point. Jesus is. He's the point. Let's remind each other that amidst the tasks and responsibilities, schedules, we're not hamsters in a wheel. We're, We're not cogs in a machine. We are dearly beloved children of God who knows us, knows our every thought, and knows the hairs on our head. 
Jesus is the point. He is the one who is in all, through all, and by him all things are held together. He calls us to himself, and in him we can find true rest. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of one more day. I pray for every single heart, every single mind in this room, regardless of how stressed, burdened, or overworked we may be. Help us to lean more fully into your promise to give us rest, that we could be put back together, that we could be re-sold. Help us to have the courage to say no to the things that are keeping us from you, to create a stop-doing list, to pause, to breathe, and remember that you are the point. We thank you, we love you, we pray all these things in the beautiful, life-giving name of Jesus. Amen.